Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to The Political Party. The last of the specials recorded live in the West End is with Jess Phillips. And this is an absolute treat. This is so funny. Jess Phillips is one of the funniest people I think I've ever met. And this is just pure, raucous fun. There is some politics in there, some really good social analysis. Some of these stories, I don't even want to hint at them, because if I hint anything, I will give a a crucial bit of information away that will then ruin the surprise. But there's a story about her brother. I can say that, that is off the scale. Um, You can email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com particularly with awkward encounters with politicians. This started off as unusual places you've seen them and keep them coming in. But if you've embarrassed yourself in front of one, that makes for a far better story. And Christopher from Australia has been in touch. You know Chris from Australia, right? He's been in touch. He says, over 20 years ago when I was in university, I also joined the Australian Labour Party. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. He says, I did a lot of the usual leafleting stuff, um, but had little to do with actual politicians. Anyway, one of the politicians, Cheryl Kernot, was giving a speech at Australian Parliament House and I was invited. Kernot was a former leader of a rival party. The Australian Democrats was a good performer when it came to media interviews. and was quite a forceful interrogator in parliamentary committees. But I was mostly going to the function because there was going to be free alcohol. I was a broke uni student after all. Oh, the foreboding, the sense that I have of dread, Chris, at the start of this story. He says, I can't remember much about the speech she gave that night, partly because it wasn't very good, but mostly because I was drunk and it dragged on for over an hour. My, I mean, that is out of order. No politician should ever speak for an hour, let alone over an hour. I mean, 40 minutes. I always thought this with leaders' speeches at conferences, even with really good speakers. After 40 minutes, you could have trimmed some of that out. If if it's their last one, fine, but crikey, more than an hour. Anyway, it says I got more and more drunk and apparently I heckled her. Afterwards, she gave a speech and then pointed me out to a number of the other students at the function and said, see that man over there? He's an absolute disgrace, an absolute disgrace. Someone should point that out to him. At which point, one student slowly raised his hand. I know him, he said. He's my brother. Yes, my brother was at the function as well and was very, very sober. He made a point of standing at the opposite end of the room during the speech. Her reply? She leaned over towards him, put her hand on his shoulder and reassured him, we cannot be held responsible for the actions of friends and family. When my brother told me what she said at the end of the function, I laughed so hard, I nearly fell down some stairs. Right, the first lesson there, if you're going to tell someone a funny story or deliver big news, good or bad, never do it at the top of a flight of stairs. That's needless jeopardy. Chris says, over 20 years later, I still kind of feel bad about my behaviour that night. Well, yeah, but I mean, Chris, it was a long time ago. You realise it was bad. Um, And to be fair, you've given us all a good laugh at your expense. So keep those stories coming in, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. And of course, please leave a review wherever you listen to this, on Acast, Apple, wherever, if you're allowed to leave a star rating, I mean, leave us a nice one. And uh, if you can write a review on on Apple, um, on the podcast app, all these things help. Um, We're all in it together. So I give you the show and then you can review it. And that's the deal. Um, Nicely, I hope. Um, Anyway, on to Jess Phillips. Jess has been on the show before, as you all know, is always brilliant fun, has never come on this show and not delivered. And this was one of the most raucous episodes of this I've ever recorded because she is so funny. It's so naturally funny. So this is just great fun. Some of the stories, one in particular about her brother, and I will give no more detail because it will ruin the sheer mad surprise of it 
will blow your mind. So make sure you're not listening to this at the top of a flight of stairs like Christopher in Australia was because you might fall down them. I will say no more. This is an absolute treat. Enjoy this brilliant, crazy evening with Jess Phillips. Margarita. Hello. Oh, Hello. Yes. Good to see you again. Hello. Oh, take the bow, absolutely. <laughs> Soak it up. My so- son, who is out in the wings, he told me to come on. He, first of all, he said, are you allowed to swear? Uh, at which I said, yes, he, he's 12. Uh, and he said that I should come on and say that we love fucking HS2. <laughs> <laughs> So I'd just like to put the counterbalance argument that where I live is uh, considerably improved by HS2. But what does your 12-year-old son have to say about the foreign aid budget? (laughs) (laughs) Fuck that as well. (laughs) So how's... I don't know how much you heard of Esther McVeigh the first time. Uh, Only about the last sort of ten minutes I heard of Esther McVeigh. I I felt like I might leap onto the stage and say... (laughs) You massively increased the housing benefit budget, actually. She massively increased the bill uh, by cutting other people's benefits, uh, making people poorer. She increased the housing benefit bill, not decreased it. But anyway, what's a couple of million between friends? Oh, we feel like fools now. (laughs) We were taken in. You thought you liked Tessa McVeigh. Well, she has got excellent hair, but she was not good for people on benefits. Talking of excellent hair, <laughs> yours is a lot shorter these days. I actually really quite like Esther McVeigh as a human being, just to, just to be clear. Uh, just nothing that she purports to think. Um, <laughs> well, some of it, sure. Some of it, yeah, no, you, you know. She doesn't vote when we ask her to vote for key worker pay rises, but maybe she will now. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I'm being so bitchy to Esther McVeigh. <laughs> I actually quite like her. Yeah, it's the um, margarita. Um, <laughs> but my hair, yes, I've had it cut. I had it all cut off after the last lockdown lifted on the first day because I just didn't want to take the risk again of having long, really long hair from the lockdown. I mean, I don't often ask guests about their hair, but <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned it. was me Esther. who mentioned it. She's got amazing hair. I have a top ten list of hairs in Westminster. Estimate Vay is on it. Okay. Um, Keir Starmer, obviously. There's not many men in the good hairs in Parliament list. Um, there's Ben Bradshaw. Yes. Amazing oh, hair. God. What, is... a, what a barnet. You know what? When I look at his hair, I think Caramac. Yeah. I mean, I bet that tastes kind of butterscotch. Absolutely delightful hair. Oh. Edward Timpson of the Tories. Yes. He's one of the only curly-haired men. Yeah, because thick. he lets it go, he lets yeah. it go to the curly point. Uh, uh, Alex Chalk, during the lockdown, he also had curly hair, we didn't know previously. Um, <laughs> Tristram Hunt, yeah. he was in it, but then he obviously took his lovely hair to the V&A. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, put it in an exhibition. <laughs> in the exhibition. But he was always in it. But there's, uh, there's some amazing treacle-haired women in Parliament who have amazing... Uh, Kelly Tolhurst is... Uh, she's the best. She's got the best hair in Parliament. <laughs> es- Esther is obviously on the list. Oh, what's her name? That one that went to be in whatever they were called, that new political party, and then Heidi. She had bold and the beautiful hair. You oh, know, yes. You know, Heidi Allen, of course. Heidi Allen. Yes, yeah, yeah. She had amazing... Friend of the show. Like, the show. like she was in, like, a 1980s American soap opera hair. Yeah, she, she kind of dressed like it as oh, well. Oh, she so did. The whole look. The whole thing. She had amazing hair. I'm a big fan of the hair in Westminster. So, <laughs> Sometimes but the meetings are boring. <laughs> <laughs> what, Angela Rayner's got good hair. Oh, Angela Rayner has got good... I'm, I'm a big fan of the red-haired... People, so um, Alison McGovern has got beautiful... She reminds me of, like, Pandora from the Adrian Mole uh, books because she's got like, this amazing sort of Albany treacle hair. Lou Haig, very red. Oh, Lou Haig, what a hairstyle! Yeah, that really pops. What a it? statement! Yeah. Cracking hair, Lou. And, and when people slag her up on Twitter for, like, spending loads of money on her hair, she's like, it costs 50p. <laughs> <laughs> It costs like £1.50 or something. And she uses it three times. My God. 
Lou Haig, where to get your budgeting uh, So what's she using? Is that Schwarzkopf or is that something else? Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure. It's called like something like Crazy Colours from Superdrug. <laughs> Bought it off the market. <laughs> it's illegal in 17 countries. <laughs> and this is one of them. Lou Haig texted me just before I came on with some really serious chat that she needed me to answer, and now I'm talking about the colour of her. <laughs> She's um, a very serious politician. So, the, the men don't feature in the top ten here, so Starmer, Bradshaw, Timpson, any other Tories? But, Boris, I guess, is kind of like famous hair. I mean, he's got a lot, you know, he's, he's got a lot of hair, hasn't he? Although I actually suspect he's going a bit... <laughs> Oh, hello. He's here. <laughs> that sounded like he's here. Oh, maybe that was my earring. I don't know. Um, but, um, yeah, he's... I thought recently I noticed that he might be going a bit bald. If you look at the parting line... Yeah. He's definitely balding out And it's, a, it's actually a comb-over, which makes me like him a little bit. My husband is really, really keen on, like... You know the way that now bald men, they just go take it all off? Yeah. Uh, he wants it proper, like, you know... Jean-Luc Picard sides. He's like, why is that not a style still anymore? Like, why don't people just wear their baldness? Or go classic, comb over. Um, <laughs> he thinks it should come back. Um, and he thinks it's like Bane, the way that people just... I mean, he's, he's the hairiest man you'll ever meet. So it's easy for him to say, check your privilege. Um, but, uh, but nonetheless... Um, like, so maybe the fact that Boris is doing a bit of a came-over is... Because, it's a good I thing. think this is true, a bald man has only won a general election as a party leader when he's defeated another bald man. <laughs> bald men don't win elections against fully head of hair. <laughs> Atley Churchill, I think that's basically it. <laughs> Atley Churchill? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so... Bald-headed... Yeah, so Starmer then, actually... Maybe that'll just get him over the line. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, let's start exposing that in a big way. So, he's, he, did you watch Piers Morgan's live I did, I did. I watched it last night, yeah. My children kept talking over it, so but I, I think I got most of it. And did you find it an emotional watch? I actually did. Find, and it's really, really hard to watch somebody you know. Piers Morgan. LAUGHTER <laughs> <laughs> um, to watch somebody you know getting emotional, who you're not used to being emotional like that. And I've been, I've been through some pretty uh, difficult subject matters. Before I was elected to Parliament, obviously, I would come up against Keir Starmer um, occasionally because he was the DPP and I worked for a rape crisis charity, and he was really good in uh, that area. But um, So, you know, we have spent quite a lot of our time before and, and in politics discussing really difficult things. And so I'm no stranger to him being like emotional about things and finding things difficult. But that, it was really, really hard for me to, when he was talking about his dad specifically, um, being like, just how devoted he was to his mum. Um, and it, I, found it, I found it choked me up a little bit when he, I was watching it. I found it, I found it very emotional to watch. And it, oh man. Um, there is a part of me, the former Labour staffer that thinks, they're going to fucking wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> just, just squeeze a couple more out, Keir. Come on, mate. If, if one would have gone down the cheek, money shot, <laughs> that would have been it. Get that framed. Yeah. Yeah, because Obama cried, didn't he, famously? Obama cried... Um, I mean, quite rightly. I think it was a, uh, one of the mass shootings. He, was, he got on the stage and he started to cry because it was, it was... But not like... Not like a, I would cry, like, <laughs> he was, um, <laughs> I'm a proper crier. I cry all the time in Parliament. I tell you what, Burko, he never bloody stopped crying. <laughs> he would cry all the time. He just needed a piss. I absolutely loved, like, when you, when you managed to achieve, like, Burko broken voice, you thought, yes, that was a good speech. <laughs> He'd be like, thank you. Interesting. <laughs> uh, a crying man has only ever beaten another crying man at <laughs> But what crying men politicians tend to do is the, just the single tear, the, the, hold, the hold the breath, hang on a minute. That is, uh, whereas I would be like, I'm going to have to take Fucking hell. Tell the only thing I ever cared about. <laughs> oh, but in your accent. <laughs> so if, you, if Piers Morgan asks you on, will you go on? Because this seems to be the kind of warm-up show for it now. <laughs> <laughs> 
totally go on, but I'm not sure. I think I'm a bit of a, too much of an open book. I'm not entirely sure that there's things people don't know about me. I'll just tell well, it. Let's find out. <laughs> I'm a massive overshare. What drugs do you do and how often are you doing? <laughs> when he was, like, kept pushing on that point, like, have you... I mean, part of me is just like, I'll just say yes, like, if you have done it, but, um, like, it's just... It, of course I have! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> that is a symbol of how much British public opinion is. <laughs> yeah! Got any? Right part of town, if you want to get older, son. Um, but the, you know, the idea that he just kept on pushing, as if somehow that would be the le the leading line in the newspapers the next day. But I mean, the last, I mean, actually, if Esther leading was, line would probably it, be there. Yeah, if, <laughs> <laughs> if Esther was still here, I don't know whether she was already dropped out of the leadership race at the point that we found out that everybody was just literally off their faces in the Tory <laughs> leadership. <laughs> Like anyone was surprised. <laughs> Shock horror. Rich people take cocaine. Talking of um, dropping out of leadership contests. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what happened? Um, the truth, not dissimilar to Esther, is the writing was on the wall and that Keir was absolutely going to win. And the reason that I stood in the leadership race um, was to make loads of people join the Labour Party. Um, <laughs> slightly dishonestly, maybe. Um, was to sign people up to the Labour Party and make people come and change the face of the competition. Um, and at the point where the Labour membership had cut off, I was like, you know, it was... They were... All the unions were going to back... You know, it was done. Like, the, those deals were done. And I have no, ex you know, particular hinterland in this area, nor am I a man. Um, and um, the, the, it was just like, well, I'm, this is so awful. It's the worst thing you could ever do to yourself. It is, it's the shittest Christmas I have ever had. <laughs> like, I mean, shitter than the last one, <laughs> which was, by normal standards, pretty shit. Um, Did you not get what you asked for? <laughs> there was one moment when... I was like in the bull ring in Birmingham and Which is a shopping which centre. Which is a shopping centre. <laughs> which in Terrible the Christmas. early two thousands, I believe I'm gonna blame New Labour for this. In the early two thousands they redid it all, which was a good thing and it, it's far well, although I you know, I, I feel nostalgic about the old concrete block, but um Don't but that. They, they redid it all <laughs> and they paid like marketing people millions of pounds uh, to, to to like name it like and do like a big relaunch of it. And the relaunch of it was that they got rid of the the and just called it Bullring, <laughs> which literally nobody ever said. I'm going to, I'm going to Bullring. What? <laughs> We're going to the Bullring. Anyway, I was in the Bullring doing my Christmas shopping um, for the kids and I'm like running around trying to buy things. And I thought, I wonder if the other leadership candidates are also now running around a sweaty shopping centre <laughs> trying to buy their children Christmas presents. Uh, and then I was like, this is just so awful. Uh, the whole thing was awful, and I hated that I couldn't say what I actually wanted to say, and there were people with a million opinions telling me, and I just thought, I'm not fit for this. I'm not fit to... I'm not fit to triangulate. I can't do it. And to win the Labour Party leadership, that is what you have to do. You have to play the percentages, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. That is what it takes. I'm just not fit to do that. I'm not fit to fit into the box. But what seems so weird about that is the public like you. I'm not saying the Labour Party don't. <laughs> but the they public... <laughs> Actually, loads of them do. Loads of them some do. Of them. Some of them do. Some of them do. <laughs> At least two people in my CLP. <laughs> It's so odd. Who I employ. <laughs> <laughs> I actually won my reselection with 90% of the vote, so webs. <laughs> Respect the mandate. Um, well done on that. <laughs> but it is odd that being Prime Minister involves having to convince the country. And it feels like you've done that bit. And that's yeah. the bit that Labour leaders really struggle with. Mm -hmm. So why don't why doesn't the Labour Party value that bit? Um, I think 
that it, it has done in the past, and not even just the sort of the obvious immediate uh, sort of successful oh, on, like the Blair years. I know you love him so much that you can't go without mentioning him for more than half an hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's a perfectly lovely man. I mean, he's very pleasant. Um, but uh, it's not that Alan Partridge talking about Jerry Adams. <laughs> <laughs> he's a very clever man. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know my brother, Clay? I can't believe I'm going to say this. My brother, who definitely, to the man who shouted out, "Have you ever in the audience?" definitely has. Uh, <laughs> Told me once that, frankly, he was picked up by a hit, he was hitchhiking out of Frankly Services, it's a service station in the southwest of Birmingham, and Jerry Adams picked him up. <laughs> I absolutely don't believe this, but that is a story that is apocryphal in my family. Oh, hang on. Jerry Adams <laughs> gave my brother a lift from Frankly Services. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. So what, your brother was hitchhiking and Adams pulls over. <laughs> I don't believe it. I just want you to know. I don't, my, my brother also has questioned the moon landings. <laughs> yeah. After meeting Jerry Adams, who convinced him of this. He said to me recently, I don't, I don't believe in conspiracy theories. I just collect them. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, uh, he's a member yeah, of Momentum. <laughs> Party. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't think that Jerry Adams did pick my brother up, but that is the story as he tells it. Um, but does he but say? Oh, and it, uh, he was nice. <laughs> yeah, I think he, he, he probably. My dad is um, his father's from Northern Ireland. Maybe they chatted about that. <laughs> you won't want to ride shot. My <laughs> 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 no, God. I don't know whether it's true, but well, I hope it's true. <laughs> I hope it's true. It's a good story. Um, but um, I'm going to dig into that a bit more, actually, next time I see him. Um, yeah, so why don't the life of Mark... What was the yeah. question? Yeah, it's not about frankly services. It's a great technique, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I just, know, just... look how good I am at making not talking about the Labour Party. Um, so why, why don't... don't the, why, why doesn't the Labour people pick people who are popular with the public? Well, to be honest, I think that when they picked Keir, that was that what they were doing. He is, like, you know, he's prime ministerial, isn't he? And I think that that is what they were doing, to be fair to them. Um, and, yeah, I think that there is a genuine problem that the Labour Party worries more about itself than the opportunity that it has to be better in the country. Uh, that is a fundamental flaw of uh, not just the Labour Party, but left-wing movements around the world. I mean, it, my, my other brother, no connection to Jerry Adams, um, <laughs> lives in... I've got lots of brothers, so there's many stories. Um, the, my older brother, he lives in France, and if I look at what happened to, uh, you know, Paris de Londres, to the socialist movement, in um, in in France, that is very very sort of the, the similarities of this sort of slight obsession with the idea of what we should be rather than what we need to be uh, and what the country needs is is it's it, it you know it's very noble at the heart of it it's 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 based but the road to hell is paved with good intentions isn't it it's based in real goodness of wanting the world to be better faster no doubt about that but it's not necessarily based in the reality of where people are now and for you then you talk about Keir Starmer being Prime Ministerial. You stood for the Labour leadership, yeah. which would be involved, you know, would then involve being a candidate for, for Prime Minister. Yeah. I like the idea of being the Prime Minister much more than being the leader of the Labour Party. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Being the See, leader of the Labour Party <laughs> is the toughest gig in politics. You're being the leader of any opposition party, but being the leader of the Labour Party, because it's such a massive institution and the, the membership and, and the, I think it was Nye Bevan who said the Labour Party needs a little less democracy and a little more trust. Um, the, you know, it is, it's, a, it's, it's an institution in a way that the, the Conservatives aren't, just by sheer number and just like they just do things by diktat, don't they? They're, it's just like, oh, we want this, here it is. Um, so, 
it's a, t it's a tough gig, but being the Prime Minister, that is, what a delicious idea. I'd absolutely love to be the Prime Minister. So, <laughs> they waste it, don't they? They squander it. Like, what are you doing? Like, the whole time with, uh, like, Theresa May. She was like, oh, are you going to do another review? That'll set the world on fire. Like, you know, you've got power. To be fair to her, hers hung in the balance quite a lot. Um, but, like, you think of the things that you would do, that you could do, and they shilly-shally around trying to win arguments about flags. And it's like, dude, you could end, like, child poverty. You could... You could massively enhance the lives of children who are currently n getting nowhere near the opportunities that they have. You could m massively change the face of the role of parenting in our country. And, and they don't. They squander it always on doing basically naffle. What, what does Boris Johnson actually... He's delivered Brexit. You, you know, I mean, not quite yet. Oh, I mean, if Jerry Adams were to pick me up at, uh, at Frankly Services, I'm sure we'd have a view on how Northern Ireland is feeling about that. Um, but to be fair, he's always been fairly consistent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to ask my brother Joe what Jerry Adams said. It's just like, was it him or the man who used to do his voice? He's really, uh, he's become hard line since Brexit on Jerry, I tell you. <laughs> I'm worried about him. I think he might do something stupid. <laughs> and <laughs> and <laughs> I can't believe we got so heavily onto Jerry Adams. <laughs> I didn't see it coming. I did not see that being the evening I was going to have. But yeah, the you know. But what is he like? You know, this whole leveling up. It just me. It's just fucking words. It just means nothing. It. And it achieves nothing, like all the stuff that I could hear Esther McVeigh saying about, oh, you know, you've got to these forgotten towns. And they think that the way to unforget a town is to go there and just build something on the edge of it and stand, you know, in a hard hat in front of it. That is absolutely naffle. Like, the people in our country are the thing that matters. And it's all so bricks and mortar. I am going to write a sitcom about the Treasury moving to Wolverhampton, though. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine Rishi Sunak living in Willenhall. Well, it sounds like Jerry Adams is there, so maybe he's, maybe he's got that ludicrous. Turns out he was auditioning, that's why he was in the area. Um, you against Boris would be an amazing, like, just purely from the sport of politics, seeing the two of you across the dispatch mm. box from each other. Because when people talk about, oh, Boris cuts through, and he does, and whether people like it or not, I can kind of see why. When people say, well, why, let, why doesn't Labour have someone like that? They do in you, and I don't mean that you're a populist or that you make uncosted spending promises or anything like that, but you have that extra thing, charisma, I guess, but also you're comfortable being yourself. Mm -hmm. And the risks that that encompasses. And people mm -hmm. say, well, actually, I'd rather that than the robot. I mean, it, it feels like... It, it's like AJ versus Tyson Fury. It feels like <laughs> a matchup that we would be denied. I think he'd really struggle, is the truth, actually. Yeah. Um, he would really struggle, only because of all my interactions with Boris Johnson have been him desperately struggling, and sometimes it's just like, hello. <laughs> and he's like that. Oh, my God, hello. Like, I am going to say the wrong thing, definitely. Um, one time, I had a row with him in the corridor, um, and Nadine Dorries <laughs> swooped in like, like it was a pub. Like, leave it! Like, I was just like... It ain't worth it! <laughs> and I had to get on all right with her, so she was just like, it's a disgrace, stop talking to him like that. I was just like, I mean, whatever. Um... <laughs> I started talking to him in the, the lobby um, with the, we'd been through and voted, and it was around the time uh, that he said, oh, bar humbug to all the death threats that women MPs were getting using his words. And I had that week had an actual death threat that actually quoted Boris Johnson in the death threat. And so I went up to him and I said, I, I, just, I want you to know that I am getting death threats with your actual words in it. 
Um, and he literally just kept looking at the floor. He's much shorter than you think. Uh, so he's shorter than me. Uh, I'm five foot eight. Um, and I actually think he's... Do you want me to do it? Yeah, so I mean, he's like this. <laughs> he's like that. <laughs> he's, um, he's quite... Um, he's probably about the same height as me, but he's got bad posture. Um, and so, um, I'm not saying mine's cracking, but it's better than his. Uh, Is there a top ten? All that money on. <laughs> <laughs> Best posture. There's lots of soldiers, isn't there? There's lots of gallant... Oh, uh, gallant Dan Jarvis. Yeah, they're, they're, they are upright. <laughs> Jerry Adams doesn't uh, want to give him a lift. But I... <laughs> I, I went up to him and I was like, you know, this is totally unacceptable. Like, you know, what are you going to do about this? And he was sort of looking at the floor. And then, because he sort of didn't know what to do or say, because um, there there's no real defence of that, actually. He just said to me, he just started, like, he sort of grew in size and just started saying, oh, yeah. like, looking past <laughs> me. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I'm his type. Uh, I only like the cheap wallpaper. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> that is absolutely not true. I really like expensive wallpaper. Uh, but he started to look past me as if he was at a rally and was just like, we've just got to get Brexit done. And I was like, I thought, that isn't a response, mate. And I went like that, I'm here. Here. And I was like looking around, I was like, who are you talking to? <laughs> like, what is wrong with you, man? And I just I was just like, what is wrong with you? You just cannot. And he was just like, don't you want Brexit done? And I was like, also, he once came up to me um, and when he, we still had a really hung parliament and he said, Jess, what will it do for you to, to vote for uh, Brexit? And I was like, have a people's vote. And he was just like, Really? I was like, do you think we're, having a t we're just, like, marching for lols? <laughs> <laughs> I'd march for lols. I was just like, yeah, that was it. And he's like, really, nothing else I can offer you? I was like, that. I don't know what this is. Maybe I should have been like, I'll have the treasury in Yardley. <laughs> yeah. Do you think you'd have... I don't know what he was... <laughs> he was just... Yeah, but he's every single time I've had um, interactions with him, he he sort of just doesn't know how to behave around me. He's he's awkward uh, around me. I've had one decent conversation with him, and he's quite shy though. It's an act. The whole thing is an act. The thing you see on television. He's not really like that. He's not really very gregarious at all. He's quite nervous and anxious. You can see that actually. I don't want you to feel sorry for him. No. <laughs> You can see that he fears not being liked. That you see it flash yeah. across his eyes. He has, in a weird way, kind of his tells are those of a performer rather than a politician. Mm -hmm. you, you can see when he feels he's losing a crowd. He hasn't got that sort of courage and self-confidence in a way to kind of stick to what he's saying, which why he ends up promising everything to all people. So, what was the decent conversation you had with him? The decent conversation I had with him was the one where he was like, "What you know? What is it? What can you? What would you do to?" get Brexit done. But he also said, oh, I, he said to me, I read uh, a thing in the newspaper about, it was before the leadership election, and he was like, you know, he said, you, you came across really well, and he was, he was basically saying to me, you should maybe consider being running for the leadership. Wow, so Boris Johnson <laughs> talked you into standing for the no, Labour leadership? No, no, Boris Johnson definitely didn't talk me into it. So what happened? Did he change his mind? <laughs> That's the only time I've ever had a sort of friendly conversation with him. It's really funny when you ch chat with prime ministers because I treat prime ministers of our country exactly like I treat every other member of parliament um, and every other person. Um, I don't like... There's this thing when they're going to vote where everybody like the sea parts as if they're Moses uh, and everybody stands aside in reverence. And by everybody, I mean Tory backbenchers. <laughs> um, and, um, uh, but, you know, people are quite reverent to the position, whereas I will just carry on walking and just walk alongside Theresa and be like, oh, hi, Theresa, how are you? And people refer to them as Prime Minister. I'm not going to do that because that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna, I was like, oh, hi, Theresa, how are you? All right. Things a bit tough, aren't they? <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, I'll just chat with her. Uh, I just would chat with her if I bumped into her and Boris Johnson similarly. And what you see, like, especially young or, or fresh uh, backbenchers, can't believe that you are able to just walk up and speak to like Michael Gove and, and you're just taking the piss and having a laugh with them. And uh, when I say having a laugh, 
taking the piss usually. Um, and, but, you know, there's an element of irreverence about it, and they look on sort of like, one day he'll notice me. <laughs> one day Jess Phillips will call me Bab. <laughs> I have to call them all Bab because I don't know any bloody name. Covid has totally wiped out my knowledge of almost 40% of members of parliament. Because we got elected, I don't know who half of them are. They're all wearing masks as well. It's really hard. It's like Jerry Adams as well. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry Adams could be one of them, and I wouldn't have noticed. Of course, he was for many, many years. Obviously, he didn't come. No. <laughs> <laughs> to Parliament. Yeah. <laughs> that sort of hung there unusually, didn't it? In fact, she felt like some of you thought, is that what she meant? <laughs> So, just on uh, because this is why I will never be the prime minister. <laughs> but, you, but I think you know what? <laughs> but you should be prime minister. Oh, that's kind of you. No, but, but genuinely, <laughs> but genuinely, you, should, you know what? If it, if Parliament was a meritocracy, you would be prime minister. Oh, I think there's probably people better than me in there. D different qualities, different okay. qualities. But you, uh, I mean, Labour it's, obviously... But it's not, um, nothing is a meritocracy, is it? Parliament, least of all. Um, the Labour Party, even less. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I think that Kiv is good and will be good. And I actually think that the Labour Party genuinely was desperately trying to turn a page when they picked Keir Starmer, so... Oh, yes. I wouldn't want it to be misunderstood. Keir Starmer is a very impressive friend of the show. Yeah. <laughs> and a very talented politician, and clearly no. far better qualified to be Prime Minister than, than Boris, Boris Johnson, Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn. And, you know, he has all those impressive qualities that mm. not every MP has. But Keir won't be leader forever. No. <laughs> and... <laughs> You have a particular appeal that so few people have. Really, that only you have. There's no other Labour politician. Really, Boris is the only person that is in that kind of space. So then, if this was sport, at some point, you'd get a go at it. I think that you, you, you're... I think that there's some truth in what you say, but the, the, the thing that I am, and this is going to sound really, really big-headed, is I'm a bit funny. And people like that I'm a bit funny. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I know Boris Johnson's the Prime Minister, although he's really not funny. I don't understand where that standard came from. Um, although he does, he, he does occasionally. No, but he doesn't. He, I'm, he, he does funny. I mean, my son Danny, honestly, if I could pull him onto the stage now, like I got made to play violin when my, friends, my parents' friends came round, I would. <laughs> to get him to do his impression of Boris Johnson talking about painting buses is one of the best things. <laughs> Whatever here. He does it very regularly. It's absolutely bang on. Um, the painting buses thing was funny, but I'm not entirely sure he intended it to be. But no. I, I'm not into, But apart from Boris Johnson is the obvious example. I'm not sure that the country just wants somebody who's just a bit funny as well as... I mean, I also care about the people and know <laughs> a lot about them. I'm, I'm quite clever. Um, <laughs> Quite clever. <laughs> Quite clever. I mean, I'm not as clever as Keir Starmer, I don't think. But what? <laughs> if I was to be honest, he's got way better degrees than me. Yeah, but, there's, but there's, that's academic. That's different, isn't it? Yeah. Intelligence yeah. is something else. It's not something that's measured necessarily by exams. No, that's true. And emotional intelligence is particularly... Oh, I've got loads of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, did you learn anything from the leadership contest? Did you think, if I stand again, I will do certain things differently? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would be trying to prepare for it a long way before, like, the day before you decide to do it. Um, because the truth of the matter is, that's what you have to do. You have to be planning it. Um, and when Boris Johnson didn't stand... Remember the time when Nadine Dorries cried in a, yeah. in a, in a conference room? It's always Nadine Dorries. It's always... She's literally loves him like a like a sort of mother son love though okay. like she's like his protector um and is that reciprocated does he behave like he's i mean i mommy? don't know i've never he, i've never had a fight with nadine doris in the corridor for him to come and rescue her but uh i presume so he gave her a job didn't he <laughs> um which is you know other people haven't done no. with nadine doris so maybe um 
But I've forgotten what I was saying now because I fell down a tangent hole. Um, were there things you'd do differently if you stood again? Oh, yeah. So, but, but when Boris Johnson stood down at that moment, they were planning what... I mean, the whole Brexit thing was all about him becoming the leader. So they were planning and getting money. And, I mean, it turns out shit tons of it. Um, <laughs> and planning all of that. And I hadn't done any of that. I was just cracking on with my job. And to be honest, I, I just started to feel like Jeremy Corbyn was going to be the leader forever. In that way, like sort of Hugo Chavez. It's like, we're just not going to have elections anymore. And he just would love the comparison. <laughs> I did feel like, I'd, I was just like, I'm just going to live in this purgatory forever. Um, and Is that on the outskirts of Birmingham? <laughs> Now, there's many things you can slag off. <laughs> you cannot slag off the outskirts of Birmingham. They're much better than the inskirts. Uh, <laughs> I love the outskirts of Birmingham. What, does Walsall count? Walsall is not even in Birmingham. <laughs> Although it's perfectly nice. Selly yeah. um, Oak. Well done. That is very the outskirts of Birmingham. Yeah. Congratulations. Mostly. That's, I'd say, more inner skirt. That's where I live. <laughs> that's a petticoat. That's where I live. Um, What's the garter of Birmingham? <laughs> the bullring. The bullring bull is the garter of or the rotunda. <laughs> anyway, um, but um, yeah, I, I think that you have to. I'd have to. I'd have to start now, like planning to do it, and well, you know, like COVID. Meeting, I've sorry. just got used to wearing pajamas um, all day long. Look. I'm not sure. You can still I'm wear pajamas, can't you? You lead with the Labour Party. <laughs> Unless well, you, you get to wear pajamas at work, I think, because like your work is in your house. Presumably, you yeah. Sherry Blair, famously, in the old dressing gown. Oh yes, opening the door. It's opening the door. Yeah. I thought, I thought maybe you had another scoop. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, yeah, maybe not. You wouldn't have to start necessarily planning now, but in like you know, in in the near future. So, so what, it's next, what, a couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> because people will be looking to you next time, won't they? Whenever that is, I that's don't know. Five that, years, ten years. I don't know that they will. I, don't, I, I, I mean, it's very. Uh, it's nice of you to say that, but I'm not sure that they will. Uh, the, the 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 current thing, if Twitter is to be believed, um, which of course it is, um, <laughs> is like people really want Yvette Cooper to do it. It seems at the moment, like that's the. <laughs> Was that a positive? No, I, I couldn't tell. There's a mixed view. Oh, there's, there's a clap for Yvette here. There you go. There's an Yvette fan down here. Um, that seems to be the, uh, you know, the sort of, or, or um, David Lammy gets a lot of mentions. London crowd, come on. Here's Lammy. Um, this is a really good test. <laughs> These people have come to watch me, so uh, the, the idea that I'm not going to win in this test would be Perfect. the worst polling ever. <laughs> this is the kind of polling that could definitely not be trusted. If we were to get down to, oh, shall I do it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid to say you're a self-selecting group. <laughs> you like Tessa McVeigh. <laughs> you like Tessa McVeigh. Would you vote for her to be the leader of the Labour Party? <laughs> She'd probably win an election. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good idea. You're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, obviously, Keir Starmer's going to be around for a bit. Yeah. So I guess that kind of, adds, that kind of well, deals... Well, I hope for a very long time, actually. I mean, obviously, I hope that we win the next election. Do you think you will? It's not, you know, it's not looking that possible at the moment, is it? Let's be realistic. We've got a huge amount to go. It's really hard to judge politics at the moment. And I can't tell if that's just because I have been sort of out of it for a year. Like, I have, literally have been out of it. I haven't been in the building. When you say really. out of it for a year. <laughs> yeah. I was absolutely, no. Um, because I haven't been to Westminster. I haven't really... You can't get gossip or the pulse of the place at the moment because you can't sit next to each other. I mean, the whole of Westminster thrives on gossip and people whispering in corridors. <laughs> you have to stand two metres apart because there are journalists everywhere who will grass on you. Uh, and you're just literally, like, in the tea room trying to have, like, subtle chats over, like, three tables that are in between <laughs> you. Um, so, I, I, 
it's very, very hard to judge how the public is feeling as well because we've only just really started door knocking again and being out amongst people and having people back in our offices. That the temperature, I just can't get the actual temperature of even the place where I know the people best. Um, of how they're feeling about anything because people are just desperate to either get back to normal or they're in a desperate situation and neither is how they're going to feel in three years' time. So, who knows? But you're someone with a, an instinct, a labour instinct mm-hmm. for working-class people. Mm-hmm. Why did Keir Starmer not win Hartlepool? I don't think anyone... I, don't, I genuinely don't think that if I'd been the leader of the Labour Party that we would have won Hartlepool. I don't think that... Um, I don't think that that was... I don't think he could have. I think that the numbers were stacked against him from the whole Brexit Party split anyway. Um, but also, it just was too soon, I think, to... Uh, the tide is still going out on the Labour Party in uh, those places. What I found from campaigning is people are no longer viscerally angry at the Labour Party. People got quite angry at us on the doorsteps for one reason or another, Corbyn, Brexit, um, just, you know, the the normal visceral hatred that all politicians get, like, you're all the same, you never knock on my door. That's the funniest one. It's just like... I'm just here. And they're like, well, you've not been round for a year. And it's like, how, how regular would you like me to visit? <laughs> There's 70,000 doors I have to knock. So if you work that out, that means that I'm never going to manage it. But I'm in for 30 years to knock every door personally, unless I'm knocking 7,000 doors a day. Um, the, um, it's... <laughs> That'd be 10 days. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's... They're just apathetic now. They're like, oh, God, I don't know. Yeah, I suppose you're all right. Do you know what I mean? We need time to rebuild. Is that better or worse? Isn't that anger at least, like, passion? Yeah, you know, um, people were going away from us with anger, and their apathy means they wouldn't necessarily go out and vote Tory, though. So they hang in the balance. They're willing to give us another go, but we we have to show them that we deserve that. And that's and, and Hartlepool was just too soon. Also, we lost Hartlepool because of a Labour Party person who'd done something terrible. So, you know, that can't go down that well with the people, can it? No. The, and, and every by-election has that. If it's the result of a scandal, it's far harder to win it. If yeah, yeah, yeah. If the sitting MP has been... Yeah, yeah. Found guilty of stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll be kept, we're careful not to libel ourselves. Been found by the Independent uh, Complaints Commission of Parliament to have committed wrongdoing <laughs> with regard to sexual harassment. I think we're allowed to say that. Yes, <laughs> I think that covers. I think that covers it. Just um, legally. But why? Why does Labour have such a profound problem communicating with working class people? Tries too hard. That's it's as simple as that. It's trying too hard um, because it really wants it to work. Whereas Boris Johnson doesn't give a shit about them, so he's just like, "Way the lads," <laughs> you know. Like, and it's easier if you don't care. Actually, it's easier if you don't feel a deep, like, and meaningful connection to just the land that they live on as well. You know, literally, like, the coal under their feet the Labour Party feels attached to. Um, and, you know, it's... And so they sort of... It get, they get, like, tense about it and say too many words. <laughs> I, I think that's genuinely the, the thing. Also, the Labour Party is a coalition, a coalition of voters in... I, I do, I have to say, and I, I won't speak for London because I don't know it all that well, but I really hate it when people refer to the sort of metropolitan areas that Labour represents as if everybody's eating smashed avocado and the reality is is that actually all the poorest parts of our country are in those places. Um, and we talk about them as if they're literally full of university professors and nobody else. Uh, it's just like, welcome to, to Birmingham Yardley. Do you know what I mean? We don't even have, like, a Sainsbury's, let alone a Waitrose. Like, people talk about the place where I represent as if it's metropolitan. It's like, 
There's hundreds of homeless people and children sleeping in hotel rooms every single night in my constituency. And yet, when it's talked about by the Daily Mail, it's made out like there's some sort of chai latte drinking. I mean, a lot of them do drink chai latte because they come from India. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, you know, the, I, hate, I hate this, this idea that the Labour Party's coalition of cities uh, versus towns. I hate the idea that people as well in towns, like in the black country, I used to work in, I used to work for a feminist organisation in, um, in West Bromwich, in, in Sandwell, which is now all part of the Red Wall. And when I say that to people, they're like, really, a feminist organisation? Like, they don't have feminists in towns. Like, the people who live in towns all hate black people and all hate women, and that's the way that we're going to talk to them. It's fucking abysmal the way that the people of our country get talked about at the moment, um, as if the people in Brighton and the people in Burnley don't want the same fucking thing, because they do. That's... I mean, I, it's something that drives me mad, is when people go... Well, and I hear pundits say it. Oh. You turn on Sky News and they go, Labour faces the impossible conundrum of how to unite middle-class people. And, and you're like, every government manages to unite middle-class and working-class yeah. people. That's how new That's Labour... That's how you win. That's how you win. And also, like, we live on a tiny bit of land that big. We've all just been through this... The whole planet's been through this whole thing. We're, like, more connected than we've ever been in so many ways. We're just about to go to a football tournament where we're all going to get behind... But there's loads of stuff we've got in common. And anyway, people have, like, friends and family, and they yeah. interact with that. What the... How has, how has politics in this country got to a point where we're pretending that middle-class and working-class people are, like, two alien species <laughs> that can I mean, never be united? Most of them come from the other. In yeah. the vast majority of cases, they are people who, whose families were... What, I mean, the, I remember going to university and meeting... Um, a woman whose grandma had gone on holiday to like an ashram in India, and I was literally like, you have a grandma that's gone on holiday <laughs> to India? Like, she hasn't gone on a Sherabang holiday to Western. Uh, I was literally like, you mean, your, you mean your mom? And she was like, no, my grandma. And that was the first time I'd ever met a person who the generation above her parents hadn't just been working class. And that is the vast experience of most people in our country, is that the one... And we've been convinced by posh people who, who rule over us, that generations and generations of families, most middle-class people in our country, myself included, come from working-class cl roots. And the idea that we all hate our parents and hate our grandparents <laughs> is an absolute nonsense. It's for the birds. And also the idea that people who live in Brighton, even in the really posh, bougie bits, um, and the people in Burnley, let's say, in the... although. In Hartlepool, more people own their house than in my constituency, although we're making out like they're the poorest people in the world. Um, the, the, the idea that they don't both just want a decent education for their kids. Of course they do. They want exactly the same thing. It's a total nonsense that they don't. Like, not just the millions of things that, you know, everybody watches the, the mass dancer thing. Like, like, what is that programme? I just can't even understand it. I got the singing, but the dancing, I'm just... I'm, I mean, I'm watching it, don't get me wrong. Um, but, like, we all... We all <laughs> dream the same dreams and want the same things. We just do. Everybody. Belinda Carlyle. It is. I often quote Belinda Carlyle and Katy Perry in political speeches. Katy Perry said, "If you stand for nothing, you'll fall for everything." Uh, I mean, some, maybe somebody else said it as well, but I only know it from that song. <laughs> I think it was the Katy Perry that said that California girls. <laughs> Undeniable. Daisy Dukes bikinis on top. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a fan. Of I am gonna. I'm gonna say that in Westminster now. <laughs> What the fuck happened to <laughs> Oh, man. You referred to yourself as middle class then. So yeah. when did that happen? Yeah, no, I mean, I was raised middle... I, I just... This is another thing I have to say that I find quite annoying. Is that in the south of the country, the distinction between middle class people and working class people is an accent. Um, whereas where I live, middle class people speak like me. In Newcastle, middle-class people speak with a Geordie accent. And there is a common misconception that if you have a regional accent, 
you must literally have been raised, you know, by wolves. Or in wolves, which is on the outskirts. Of, <laughs> yeah, or in wolves, where Rishi Sunak will soon be raising his children. Um, <laughs> I'm really pushing that if they're going to move the treasury to Wolverhampton, then he has to go. I'm sorry, you have to move to Wolverhampton too. Um, they, uh, which is lovely, lovely. I really like Wolverhampton. Um, but uh, the M6 is a bastard, though. He's going to really struggle to get to work on time. Um, but, yeah, no, my, I, mean, I, was ra- I mean, I was raised by... My parents are thoroughly working class. Um, and I was raised by... You know, but my dad was a teacher and my mum later was, uh, worked in the NHS um, after she went back to work. Um, and my brothers were definitely raised working class. But my parents sort of started in the 80s to sort of do a bit better when I was a kid. So I was definitely raised relatively. We, um, I mean, my dad's test is, were you born in a bought house? And I was born in a bought house. Um, but, yeah, I think I, I think I am middle class. And do you think once you become an MP, you're definitely middle class or not? Because then th- the problem with that is then you'd have no working class MPs. Yeah. <laughs> But that often people, I noticed recently there was some sort of idiots on the internet talking about this, wasn't there? There was a whole conversation about this on Twitter. Um, and people, people often say, oh, only 8% of members of parliament are working class. Well, actually, that metric is almost exclusively a male one. Uh, it doesn't include people who've been care workers, worked in charities, done work like the kind of work that I did. So I would never have even cut it in that. Angela Rayner wouldn't have cut it in that. Um, so it's, it's a stupid metric. But yeah, I think that, look, I think that your class is much more than the money that you earn and the sort of house you live in. There is a whole cultural sense of your class as well that is really, really important. Um, and a sense of um, how you fit into the system and what you can and can't do is a fundamental part of that. Um, you know, lots of my fam- my brothers, two of them still live in, you know, social housing and... Some of my best friends are working. <laughs> yeah, you know, like... <laughs> my husband, I'd say he's quite common. <laughs> Just taking his shirt off, so I think you're right. <laughs> but, you know, my husband was born in a council house. He um, has a manual... He's a manual lab. He has, like... He, he definitely, if you were to look at all the metrics of any university or whatever, like, if my sons go to university, they will be the first people in his family ever to go to university. That hasn't happened in his family. It literally doesn't exist yet. And that's rare nowadays that nobody in your family has gone to university. My kids are like, we're not going to go. We don't want to break the streak. (laughs) (laughs) They're totally like, we've got your back, Dad. I'm like... That's not really the point. Um, Oh, God. I don't know what that is. I feel, like, slightly anxious every time it happens. Um, But, but, you know, he makes sourdough bread and and has, like, um, an aeropress to make coffee. An aeropress to make coffee. He is one of the most cultured people I know, and this is why I hate the way that people talk about class, because it's... It's, off, it's often just narrows the field of people's actual lived experiences, which are not all... He hates football. <laughs> People would... I know, yeah, hates it. What's his problem? <laughs> <laughs> just hate, hates football. I don't know why, I just never got into it. Um, and he's related, to, he's related to the footballer Kevin Phillips, so we had, like, the... Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Newcastle and Sunderland legends? Yeah, he's his first cousin. What? Yeah. <laughs> And he played for all the teams in the Midlands. He played for the Villa, he played for the Blues. And so we were, had, like, you know, like a sort of corporate box that we could go to. Obviously, we never went once. Because we don't like football. I, I, wasn't, I, I honestly swear I wasn't <laughs> going to plan to ask you this. Can you get me two tickets to England, Scotland? <laughs> I'm literally asking everyone. I think he might be able to help. He doesn't want him. <laughs> he definitely oh, doesn't want him. So, um, we've talked a lot about class now, but let's just... What is the most middle-class thing you do, then? Oh, God, I do really middle-class things. My office, my staff in my office take the piss out of me all the time because I'll, like, bring burrata to work for lunch. (laughs) Because I also don't eat carbs. Um, oh so, so I, uh, so I, eat, I eat like meats and cheeses. That's exclusively what I eat. That's all I eat. Uh, and uh, so I'll bring like burrata to work in a cox green, which you maybe 
don't know Aircock's Green, but it wouldn't be common to eat for, for Arthur. Um, and uh, I, I, I do really middle-class things all the time. Like, you know, I, I too think that, you know, I've... I might want to look other, somewhere other than John Lewis for my furniture. <laughs> but John, I was see the thing. John is, Lewis is the absolute height of middle classness. Yeah, so, I think yeah. it's like expensive. Oh, it, well, it is really expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, when that whole thing kicked off, I was like, "Oh my God!" People think John Lewis isn't expensive, and I was like, "No, no, no." I think that most people think that okay, John Lewis, is, even middle class people, like it's you only you'd only buy like a special. Thing from John Lewis. Mm. You wouldn't buy it all from John Lewis. Like, if you were getting a suite, you'd go DFS and then you'd get a signature chair. <laughs> my I son don't know this stuff. <laughs> my son Danny told me the other day that DFS stood for De Furniture Store. <laughs> 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 and then my husband was like, that's a backronym? And then introduced me to the word backronym, which I had never heard before, no. which is like when you like make like you sort of backpedal a, a ba you, like an acronym that exists, like DFS, um, and you make it mean something else. But it doesn't. It, it's a furniture store. So <laughs> the furniture store. The is, now that you've said that, I can't <laughs> imagine it ever standing for anything else. So what I would do is I would get a three-piece suite from DFS on the Never Never because there's my working class rates. <laughs> yeah. um, and but then you'd buy like the nice. You'd buy that in grey. I bet some of the people in this audience have got the same safer as me because literally everyone in the whole world has got the French Connection safer from DFS. <laughs> literally. Is that L-shaped? Well, you can get it in an L-shape. Yeah. I've got, got a three and a two. Yeah. Um, I got mine from Sophology. Is that sort of DFS level? No, yeah, that's... Yeah, okay. you, you, you know, if you can get it on the Never Never, essentially, and it's, you have to drive there and it's got a big car park, you have to, like, drive slightly out of town. Yeah. You're in the right area. Yeah, I've got a uh, <laughs> Sophology is basically DFS, basically. It doesn't sound posh, does it? No. It, I actually wouldn't go to Sophology just because of the name. It's, <laughs> I think it's no the, de furniture store. You know I, mean? I think on some level I expected <coughs> John Curtis to be there. <laughs> but, oh, Sophology, like, this is for kind of... This is so for so political guys. Maybe it has a swingometer on the side. John Curtis yeah. is one of the only people I've ever actually been starstruck by. And I meet fam right, really, really famous people all the time in Westminster. I've met Keanu Reeves. Um, I know, literally amazing. Um, He's got Keir at the start of his name. <laughs> Keir. <laughs> um, and when I, I just bumped into John Curtis on, um, on Cromwell Green, where we all have to go and be interviewed on the news. And I, I, I was so excited. I just like... Oh my God, I love you. I love you. Oh God, tell me some, tell me some figures. <laughs> I got like really excited. What did he say? He was just like, it's nice to meet you, Jess. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I won't be able to say anything that sounds clever. I love him. And um, what was Keanu Reeves on? Quiet. Uh, but also, I have to say, I, I was so starstruck, I didn't really feel I could speak. <laughs> So I was in a crowd of other MPs. I asked Idris Elba to marry me. Actually, um, I accepted what I assumed he was saying to me was um, a proposal of marriage. And what, what, do you think, what did he say? He said uh, he was really, really nervous. He gave a speech about diversity in the media in Parliament, and he was quite nervous doing it. And then um, they were like, everybody come and have a photo with Idris Elba. And literally all of the women in the room surged forward. <laughs> And I was stood right behind him and I said, my God, you should come to Parliament more often and talk about diversity because I've never seen so many women in here. Um, I was like, you've up the numbers, mate. Um, and then he started to laugh and he said, oh, I look good on that photo because you made me laugh. You must come everywhere with me and make me laugh. And I said, I will accept your proposal of marriage. <laughs> oh. And Tanny Gray Thompson was there and she said, I will be the witness slash bridesmaid. <laughs> What an amazing thing. Jess, I, I, this has flown by. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it feels like it's only been going five minutes and I could easily do uh, hours more, but um, I don't think we're going to top you um, sexually harassing Idris Elba. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the exclusive the night needed. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, before we go, first of all, thank you so much for coming. I know with COVID and everything, it can feel nervous coming out and being around other people and everything. I can't thank you enough for coming tonight and if you came to the other shows, these have been some of the most amazing 
performances I've been ever able to put on. So thank you so much for coming. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please give a huge thank you to all the staff at the Vaudeville on sound, on lights, the people in the wings who've done the promotion and have helped make the night what it is. I will be back in the future with more political party live shows when things are easier to put on without social distance. So thank you for coming. I've been Matt Ford, but please give a huge thank you to the amazing Jess Phillips! I think we need to find out from Jess Phillips's brother whether that is true and whether he really did get in a van with Jerry Adams. If anyone out there can verify that story, I mean, it would be a great email to the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com, about awkward encounters with politicians. I was once picked up by Jerry Adams at a service station somewhere in the West Midlands. Oh, my word. What a treat that was. And what a way to end that mini run of West End specials, because that was just absolutely brilliant fun that flew by. But also, which you always get with Jess, is really good fun and uh, really sharp political analysis and the stuff about class and unity. You know what's amazing about it is, I mean, as I said in the interview, it drives me mad that people can't see, particularly Labour people, it seems, how you unify people that by the way, have so many things in common. So actually, when someone like Jess can articulate it, it's such a straightforward way and with the passion she has, it has a huge impact. Um, but it was a fantastic, brilliant night. So I hope you've enjoyed the show. Um, I shall leave you to it. And uh, I've got some brilliant guests lined up. Um, and I shall see you soon. Leave a review, drop us an email. And uh, yeah, have a great, and I hope you're enjoying the, uh, hope you're enjoying the Euros. Ta-ra. 